So our scripture comes from Jeremiah 32, and I will share it with you as I, uh, as I speak this morning. And I heard three words uh, for the next year. They were hear, hope, and hold. Hear, hope, and hold. Okay, you can always go back and listen to the uh, message um, from the website. So the words that I hear are hear, hope, and hold. Now, Jeremiah was in prison, and he was in prison because King Zedekiah um, had, he had told King Zedekiah that Israel was going to be taken into captivity uh, by the Babylonians because Israel had turned away from God. Now, the king wanted to silence Jeremiah by putting him into prison, but he could not silence the voice of God. And while Jeremiah was in prison, the word of the Lord came to him. God gave him a word of knowledge, and he said, your cousin, Hanamel, is going to come to you, and he's going to ask you to buy some property. Now, this would be unlikely to happen because, uh, and so Jeremiah wasn't like 100% sure that he had heard from God. But after Hanamel came to him, and offered to sell him some property, then he knew indeed that God had spoken to him. Now we gotta put this into perspective. The prophecy for which he was in prison was coming to pass. Outside the prison, the Babylonians had set up siege in the land. Uh, this meant that they were probably had uh, archers on top of the walls with, and those with slingshots probably meant that there were battering rams uh, around ready to break through the wall or to break into the gates. They had probably cut off the water supply. Uh, there were probably some starvation going on, maybe even famine in the land. They were, had plundered and they had destroyed uh, parts of the city with fire. And the land which he uh, was going to purchase was in his hometown of Anathoth. And it was worthless because the enemy had already taken over that part of the land. And so the next place would be the capital, which was Jerusalem, where Jeremiah was in prison. I want you to get the picture. See, Jeremiah was living in a war zone. A world is living in a war zone. The church is living in a war zone. You are living in a war zone. You are battling for health. You are battling financial problems. You are battling marital problems. You are battling emotional problems of anxiety and depression. Some of you are battling low self-esteem, battling lack of confidence. You battle for your kids. You battle for your grandkids. You battle for your relatives. You battle those things in society that are working against Christian values. But there's a bigger battle that's being fought. There is a battle that is raging in the kingdom of God. It's the battle of the light of the world against the prince of darkness. It's the battle for truth in the face of so many lies that are out there now. The enemy is battling for your time, your devotion to God, your loyalty to him, no matter what. And 
while living in prison in Jerusalem, which was the enemy's next target, Jeremiah gets this astonishing offer to buy his property in a war zone. It made no sense. So listen, God may ask you to do something in the next year that may make no sense at all to you. If you're having marital problems, he may tell you to be more affectionate toward your spouse. If you're having trouble on your job, he may say, pray for that boss that has it in for you. If you're battling financially, he may say, give to that person that you don't even know and you think you need the money worse than they do. What I am saying to you is that in your war zone, you can hear the voice of God. In your war zone, the voice of God will come to you. And that voice will unlock wisdom as God begins to deal with you and give you strategy. Your war zone is where you are now, but God wants to give you strategy that will move you through your war zone and into your future. Now, Hannah Mel's name means God is gracious. And in 1 Peter, we're told that God is called the God of all grace. So God uses a man whose name means God is gracious to get Jeremiah to buy some land. And this purchase would become symbolic of God's favor upon his people and upon the land of Israel. Now in this season, I want you to hear it, God is giving more grace to the church. God's grace is his divine enablement that will help you to move forward in this season. You know, Paul was having a hard time. And God told him, hey, buddy, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. It'll get you through. It will be what you need to keep moving forward. And some of you need to hear that today. So you may not be in a physical prison like Jeremiah, but you can be a prisoner to your past where you entertain guilt and regret about certain things you did or certain things that did not happen. Or you can harbor unforgiveness from your past and wounds and those kind of things. You can be a prisoner to your present because you don't believe things will ever get better for you. And you can be a prisoner to the future where there is anxiety and you're constantly stressed and worried about things over which you have no control. God wants you to know that he is gracious. He is the God of all grace, and he's the God of all times. So whether it is the past, the present, or the future where you need to experience the grace of God, he is the God of all grace, and he will be gracious to you in this season. So 2024 may offer some deja vu experiences, and you may begin to feel stuck. But know that the grace of God is there for you. It's what we need in order to move forward, and it is what God is giving to us in this season. So just ask him right now. Tell him, Lord, I need more grace. Lord, I need more grace. Now God had told Jeremiah, now you accept his offer when Hannah Mill comes to you. 
But things were really bad around Jerusalem. And according to what he had prophesied to the king, his expectation, hear that, his expectation was that things were going to go from bad to worse really fast. You see, in a war zone, your hope regarding a positive future begins to diminish, especially in the face of unanswered prayer. So by telling Jeremiah to buy this land in a war zone, God was giving him a tangible picture of what hope looks like. So he was still in prison, but his actions were causing him to be a different kind of prisoner. Zechariah talks about a prisoner of hope. He says, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. For even today I declare to you that I will restore double to you. That's the Lord. He's saying, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. A prisoner of hope is someone who maintains hope even though the situation looks hopeless. Now, Abraham was a good example of that. The Bible says that when there was no reason to hope, uh, to keep believing that God was going to give him a son, he, he believed in the power of hope. And the power in his hope was that he was not disappointed because he judged God faithful to keep his promises. And the end result of his hope was that God kept his word and he had a son. Now, when Jeremiah agrees to buy this field, something happens in the spirit. Symbolically, Jeremiah is being moved from a prisoner in King Zedekiah's courtyard to becoming a prisoner in another courtyard that is defined as hope. So starting today and during this year, God wants to restore hope to you, to the body of Christ, to his hurting body. He wants to restore hope. And this is what I heard the Lord say. He said, return to the stronghold. And I say, God, what is the stronghold? He said, I am the stronghold. I am the secure place. Return to me. He said, you put your hope and your confidence in things and people, and they could not save you. Return to me your stronghold and place your hope in me. When your hope is in me, you're able to persevere no matter what the, the situation, no matter what the circumstances. I call you to become prisoners of hope. Trust in my unfailing love. Place your hope in the covenant of love that I have made with you. Even now, he says, presently, when it seems impossible, I say to you, I will bring restoration. I say to you, I will bring change. He says, even then, in the future, when it seems impossible, I will bring restoration and I will bring change. And then I heard the Lord say, Jeremiah, 
made a tangible investment. He paid for the land with silver. He says, I say to you, invest in the land. Hope is the investment that I'm asking you to make. For hope does not disappoint. Hope will not disappoint. And I heard him ask this question. And he said, I require an answer from you. He says, will you hope again? Will you trust me with your whole heart again? We sang it this morning. I surrender all. God is asking. And he's requiring an answer. You cannot leave it blank. He says, will you trust me with your whole heart again? To just think about that for a moment. Think about how you will answer that. Once Jeremiah agreed to buy the land, there were certain legal transactions that needed to take place. So he paid the amount that Hannah Mill asked for, and he was surrounded by um, lots of people who, to witness the purchase that he made, and they signed the deeds as witnesses. And there were two deeds, and one was called the open deed, and one was called a closed deed. And so, why were there two deeds? Well, an open deed of purchase would be vulnerable to tampering. So, if somebody wanted to deny the right of the property to the owner, they could tamper with the deed. Uh, this could happen if the owner was not able to take possession of the property right away. Jeremiah couldn't take possession of the property right away for two reasons. One, he was in prison, and the other was that the land was in enemy's hands. So, he, so that was the open deed. So it was therefore necessary to have a sealed deed of purchase as irrefutable evidence of who had the right of tenant possession. Sealing it guaranteed that the terms could not be changed. Hear that. Sealing it meant the terms could not be changed. Furthermore, the two deeds together would serve as proof that hope does not disappoint. So Jeremiah gave the deeds to Baruch, his scribe, and shared with Baruch the instructions that was given to him by the Lord. So the scripture says he gave the instructions to Baruch in their presence. In whose presence? Well, in the presence of all of those witnesses. There were lots of people there as well as those that were watching it on Facebook. I mean, this had gone viral instantly. Jeremiah's in prison and he's making a foolish land deal. It was big news in town. So in the presence of these witnesses, those that were actually present, those that were watching on Facebook, he gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, vineyards, 
will again be bought in this land. This is what I want you to hear. Twice, God identifies himself as the Lord Almighty. He identifies himself as the one who has control over all things, past, present, future. And it was the future that Jeremiah was concerned about. And many of you are concerned about the future also. So God gives Jeremiah a promise that moves him from the present chaos of the war zone and shows him a future with divine order in it. Hear that. God is releasing a word over you that will move you from chaos into divine order. Releasing a word over the church that will move the church from chaos into divine order. You see, when chaos is happening, God is not in the chaos. He speaks order to the chaos. Remember the disciples were in the storm on the boat? Jesus was sleep resting. They woke him up so he could observe the chaos. You see, much of our praying is trying to wake up God to see the chaos. We're asking God to observe the chaos. But God, on the other hand, is wanting to wake us up to the power that is within us so that we can speak into the chaos. Church, our prayers must be, God, word my mouth. This is the year of the mouth, so that I can speak to the chaos. In the next season, in this next year, you will be required to embrace hope and then to speak into the chaos around you. You remember Moses. Okay. So Moses was in a chaotic situation. He was moving the Israelites from slavery to freedom. The Red Sea was in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them, the mountains on each side. And Moses did what I would do. He started pushing the panic button. But God said to him, why are you crying out to me in this chaos? Get your finger off the panic button. Speak up, Moses. You speak. Did you hear that? God said to Moses, you speak to the children of Israel and you tell them to go forward. You see, Moses had to learn to deal with chaos and so do we. He had to learn that the only way that they could move forward was when he had learned how to go beyond the chaos. Now, after Jeremiah had purchased the land, God comes and he seals it with a promise. He says, store the deeds in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. Listen, God is interested in the generations, your children, your children's children, your children's children's children. He wants you to know that the promise that he gives to you will last a long time. What you do as an act of obedience releases the blessings of God on a future generation. God isn't just interested in getting you through the present crisis. He wants you to know that he will be in your future in 2024 as well. 
So God told Jeremiah clearly that what he had done in purchasing that land, even in a war zone, would be done again. It was prophetic. It was a prophetic act that unleashed a blessing. It unlocked the future. So we're going to be called to radical obedience. Whenever he says to you, do it, that's radical obedience. And who knows if our present acts of obedience will release God's mercy upon a future generation. Now, after Jeremiah had completed this strange transaction, which seemed to have happened very, very quickly, he began to think about what he'd done. And he probably felt rather foolish asking himself, did I just have a moment of insanity in front of all those people? They were probably laughing behind my back. What was I thinking? Buying property in a place that's being destroyed and ravaged by the enemy. It's not sound business sense. And he goes like, hey, hey, God, what have I done? And so he begins to pray this awesome, powerful prayer, extolling the greatness of God and marveling at the acts and wonders of God. He praises God for his deliverance of his people from Egypt and the mighty signs and wonders with which he brought them into the promised land. And he acknowledges that they had forsaken the Lord and and, and what God had promised uh, had happened to them because they turned to other gods. It was a powerful prayer, extolling God, showing God's divine order. Then his prayer takes a different turn. And all of a sudden, he's stuck in the chaos again, and, and there's fear. And now, like the disciples in the storm, Jeremiah invites God to observe the chaos that's happening around him. He says, behold, which means, God, take a good look at this. Can you see what's happening? It's getting really, really bad out here. Uh, they killed off some of our people, and they've cut off our food supply. People are dying of famine. The Babylonians are taking over God. Can't you see it, God? Can't you see it? All of this is happening, and you told me to buy this property in a war zone. So we're like Jeremiah, aren't we? We try to believe God, and when things don't change, we begin to question whether or not we've heard from God. We begin to doubt his words to us, begin to think that it was just our imagination. We were just making things up. And metaphorically, we are looking at the first deed. See, it is the enemy who attacks that deed. Attacking through our minds, our emotions, sometimes through other people, through a doctor's report, an unexpected bill, a telephone number on your spouse's phone that you don't recognize, call from the teacher saying your son didn't turn in his homework, 
attacking the open deed, trying to get you to believe that your situation is hopeless, that God is not going to come through for you, that he has favorites, and obviously you're not one of them. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't you remember? There is a second deed. Don't you remember? There is a second deed, and God pulls out that second deed, and he starts talking to Jeremiah. He starts off by saying, behold, that means Jeremiah, you need to look. Pay attention. I'm about to say something to you extremely important, and I don't want you to miss this. You ask me to look at some things, to fix my gaze upon all that is transpiring around you. All the pain, all the chaos, all the grief, all the problems. Because that is where your gaze is. Those things are in your vision. Those are the things that hold your attention. But listen, Jeremiah, I want to change what's in your vision. Can you hear God saying that to you today? I want to change what's in your vision during the next year, and it will start today. I want to open your eyes to see me again. Disappointment has blinded our eyes. Grief has blinded our eyes. Uh, losses have been like a blindfold over our eyes. Failure has blinded our eyes. Sin has blinded our eyes. Lack of commitment has blinded our eyes. Prayerlessness has blinded our eyes. So many things in the past season has blinded our eyes. But I hear the word of the Lord that says, those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And I heard the Lord saying, you are going to rise in response to the light that is shining upon you. Your eyes will be open to see me for who I am. So he's saying, church, this year, put me back in your vision. Remove the idols that have blocked your view of me. Hear him. He's crying out in your darkness. Behold me, I am the God of all flesh. Did you catch that? Behold, I am. And this was the name that he revealed to Moses. So when Moses asked, what is your name? God answered right back, I am that I am. This is my name forever. Did you catch that? I am that I am. This is my name forever. The name by which I will be remembered from generation to generation. And that name means I will be what I will be. Now you think about it. If you had a friend who was having marital problems, you would want to be the greatest marriage counselor in the world. And if you had a child who needed a life-saving operation, you would want to be the greatest surgeon in the world. And if you had a family member who was desperate uh, in, uh, for finances and they need lots of money, you would want to be the richest person in the world. But we don't have the power to become what people need. But God was telling Moses and Jeremiah and now me and now you, 
as the church today. I will become what I will become. I will be what I will be. He wants to give us a revelation of this name. We must trust in the name of the great I am. We don't ask him to become because he already is. In 2024, God will open our eyes to see who he is. Jeremiah's in a war zone. We are in a war zone. And in the midst of the war zone, he is waving his banner over us. And on that banner is written, I am that I am. And I pray that your eyes will be open to see the one who is mighty, powerful. May your eyes be open to see the one who commands the angel armies in the war zone. So God declares himself to be whatever is needed in any given situation. He will be whatever he needs to be for our present time and in the season ahead of us. So he says, Jeremiah, behold, I am the God of all flesh. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? God says to Jeremiah, you are worried about flesh. You're worried about man. You're worried about the Babylonians' flesh, the king Zedekiah's flesh, my people Israel's flesh. Don't you know that I am the God over all flesh? He is God over the boss that doesn't want to promote you's flesh. He's God over the child who's in rebellion's flesh. He's God over your flesh when it's anxious. He's God over your flesh when it's battling sickness. He's God over your spouse's flesh. He's God over the president's flesh. He's God over all flesh. And I am the God who is in control of every living creature upon the earth. If this is so, can you not believe that I am in control of your life? Can you not hear me saying, I got you. I got this. And God goes on to ask Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? I want you to hear this. God is asking the same question today. You can't skip over this question. Because if you know of anything that is too hard for God, stand up and let us know. Because we don't want to be putting our trust and our hope in a God who is limited in power. But think about it. If there is something in your life that you've been struggling with, battling with, and now you realize that God is asking me, is there anything too hard for me? Then I just want you to stand to your feet and say, there is nothing too hard for God. So is there somebody that can witness to me today that there is nothing too hard for God? Say it loud. Say it loud. Say it loud. And that is a moment of truth. When you say that, you silence the lies of the enemy. 
Did you not feel something break in the atmosphere when you say, when you declare, there is nothing too hard for God? Something breaks in the atmosphere. The lies of the enemy are vanquished. The enemy would sow lies in our mind and in our heart, causing us to doubt the power and the willingness of God to deliver us. God continues to speak to Jeremiah and explains to him what he plans to do. And he ends by telling Jeremiah this. But thus said the Lord, just as I have brought all this calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. This is what you want to hear. God says you've had some hard things to happen. Other hard things will happen. Unexpected things, difficult things, painful things. And just because you have experienced those things does not mean that I have turned my back on you. No, no, I would never do that. I want you to know that I will bring to you all the good that I have promised you. Did you hear that? Can you hear that? He said, I will bring them all the good that I have promised. And there's something that you need to see. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And God is saying, I will bring you all the good that I have promised you. What do you see? I want you to see it. He said, I am bringing you all the good that I promised you. What do you see? What is he bringing you? How is he bringing it to you? Do you see people? Do you see a giant moving van? Do you see angels? Do you see the windows of heaven being open and blessings being poured out upon you? Do you see a factory, a warehouse bigger than Costco's with your name on it? Do you see wheelbarrows? Do you see a vault? What is the good that God is opening your eyes to see? He is bringing something to you, and he wants you to see it wants your eyes to see it. Listen, he said, I am bringing all the good that I promised. All the good. He's coming with some good things, not just a few. He said that I have promised. And I don't see that as him necessarily saying it directly to me. Joyce, I promise you that I am going to do this. I see it as a promise that he's making to himself. Concerning Abraham, he said, I have sworn by myself, and there is none greater, that I will bless you. He's saying, I made this promise to myself that I, I will bless you. And I see this is all the things that are written about you in his book. 
This is where he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans that are good and, and not evil. God's going to start opening your eyes to see what he sees. And he will cause you to know what he knows about you. You're going to understand more and more about your purpose. The word good first appears in the Bible when God talked about the things that he had created. He said, it's good. You are his creation, created with a purpose. With you, he said, it's very good. So when God says, I will bring all the good, he's saying, I will bring all that is necessary I will do, I will be whatever I need to be in order to get the glory out of your life and for you to become all that I have created you to be. So God is saying, I am bringing all the good. And my response to that is, bring it on, God. Bring it on. Bring on all the good. And Jeremiah your step of faith was not in vain. Jeremiah, this land is desolate. That's what you say. You say there's no life here. The Babylonians are taken over. What have you spoken against your land, against your situation? What has come out of your mouth? What have you spoken? And God said to Jeremiah, I hear what you say. Now I want you to hear what I have to say. And I say, this land is not going to remain desolate. I am going to bring them back from the captivity and restore the land. And what you did by purchasing that field, they will come back and they will do more of the same. So God speaks over your situation. Maybe your words were like Jeremiah's and and you could not see redemption. God wants to change things for you. He wants to turn them around. Listen, he wants to deal with your heart today. He wants to speak over you. All the good in his heart is coming to his church. His goodness will pursue you. So what good does God want to bring in this season. So with the ushers come and with they pass out those forms. And, and what promise do you need to renew your hope? Think about something that you want the Lord to do. One thing, two things, three things. And so you have a form. It's like a deed. Just like this. So I want you to complete it. Put your name there. Think of some things that you want the Lord to do for you in this season. Then I want you to sign it and date it. I want you to get some witnesses around you, ask somebody around you to sign it. Two or three. Then after you've done that, if you could roll it up, and you got a seal, and if you would put the seal on it, that's your seal deed. 
So think about that thing. Do you think it's too hard for God? Think about a promise that you have not yet seen come to pass. Be sure to get your witnesses, anybody around you. at least two witnesses out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Okay, we'll take another minute on these. So I want you to know that God is the great I am. And he's able to do exceedingly more than you can ask or even think. And I want you to think about what you have written. And then I want you to think up on his name. God wants to give you a fresh revelation of his name. He wants to release his name over his church imparting new vision for you to see him as he is. The God who's able to do it. The great I am, the Lord God Almighty. Just hold that for a moment. He said, this is my name, my name forever. Forever, this is my name, my name forever. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything that he cannot do? The great I am. So hear the word of the Lord of the war zone. Hope for a future with divine order and hold fast to his name. Amen. Pastor Matt.